three, four. Testing, one, two, three, four. Testing, one, two, three, four. Testing, testing, one, two, three, four. Testing, one, two, three. Check, one, one, check. That is the way you drive Nathan absolutely crazy. All right, it is six o'clock. We should have a live feed going now. So if you're talking about anybody, you better quit because those microphones pick it up, okay? So, but I know in the Baptist church, we don't do that, right, Brandon? Right, we don't do that. Okay. Y'all be praying for Walter. Walter, look at him. Look look how concerned he is right now. I've got him, man. I've got him. Look at him. Walter is going to be reading the scripture. Uh, this Sunday during AM worship for the first time. So give it up for Walter, everybody. Walter, 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 Walter. Huh? You think he's read scripture in front of a couple hundred people? Okay, all right. That's true, that's true, that's right. And that's probably more stressful than reading scripture, I would imagine, having to stay on tune, on key. Well, it's time to begin Bible study, everybody, and tonight we're going to try to finish the, uh, the hard questions, the first question, which was about spiritual disciplines, um, and we have got prayer sheets that I'm passing out to you, David Fleming, there you go, man. Uh, I think we had some, uh, some young disciples that were running through here and grabbed the, grabbed the prayer sheets and put some, put some requests on there that we can't read, so we'll just, you know, we'll just... We'll just do blanket prayers over those, no problem, no problem at all. I say praise Jesus that we got children running around the sanctuary is what I say. As a lot of churches wish they had children running around the sanctuary. So, um, let's see. Colton, I wonder if Colton's chimed in yet. Because you know he's watching the live feed wherever he is, right? Disney World. Let's see if he's on there. Let's see here. Chuck Draper. There's my. Hey, Chuck. That's cousin Chuck all the way from Arkansas. He's he's tuned in there. I don't see Colton yet, so I'll I'll leave this right here. Is he always late? He is always late, isn't he? Man, you said it, not me. You said it. All right. I can't really prop that thing up. I'll just leave it right there. So how's everybody tonight? Everybody doing okay? Good day, bad day? Windy day. I mean, windy, windy, windy. I went home and I had to pick up trash in my yard. I know for 20 minutes. Dog had gotten in the garbage again and scattered garbage everywhere. Now, I don't know if y'all have seen Lottie, but Lottie, Lottie looks like something out of a horror movie. She's a, she's a female, and she's got this brindle, this brindle color to her, you know what I'm talking about? This just kind of the, the str- I mean, almost looks like a pit bull dog with the brindle color. She's a female, but, I mean, obviously she's a girl dog, but uh, very active, very intelligent, um, just really is. And, and I knew we were in trouble once she got big enough to kind of run around and play and stuff. She runs over to garbage cans and she jumps up on the side of the garbage cans and she has learned how to pull the garbage can over and then go up in the garbage can and go to town and find all the french fries and fast food, McDonald's bags and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
And of course, then the kids come running out of my house saying, Daddy, Daddy, can we help you pick up the trash? You believe that, right? Yeah, no, no. No, <laughs> no they don't do anything. They, they, they can see everything else in the yard but trash. They can't see the trash. So I got to go home and pick up trash for a while. They did when they were little bitty. When they were really small and the tractor was a big deal, they couldn't get enough of it. But now, oh, no, 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 man. They, they, got, they got something, they got something else to do. But that's all right. That's all right. Fleming, David is going to help me break them of all that. Right, David? I think I may have done that by accident. I may have pushed that button somehow. So, okay, I'm back. All right, as you can tell, Colton is not here tonight. So, um, I am the, uh, the main person this evening. So, hard questions and spiritual warfare and spiritual disciplines is what we've been talking about. And the little intro that I always like to give on this is, is for me, in my own personal experience, when I have as my journey in the scripture and, and, and studying the scripture and being involved in church and some of the controversial passages or whatnot, what, what I have found is that the spiritual warfare that Satan will wage against you is many times in the parts of scripture that you're uncomfortable with or, or that you don't fully understand. Because the key to being, to being able to live a life in fullness in the gospel is understanding God's word. Would y'all, would y'all say amen to that? It's just like anything. I mean, if you do a job or if you're doing anything, understanding what is expected of you uh, is, is part of what you have to know in order to, to live it to the fullest. So from the very beginning, uh, Satan's tactic against us as humanity has been to cause us to doubt God's word, right? To doubt God's word. And now in our culture, what you have is you not only have Satan doing it, you have Satan working through multiple different spheres in the culture, uh, creating uh, persecution against us as believers for believing God's word. So the family is being attacked, Christian organizations are being attacked. It's, uh, I mean, you see it. You see it every day on, on TV. I mean, it happened. When, when did they take prayer out of the public school systems? I can't remember that. When did that happen? In the 70s? Was it the 70s or the... Yeah, so, so, there, so there's been a, and people want to deny it, but there's been a systematic scrub of Christianity from, from everywhere in the public sphere. And so uh, we are fighting against that, and part of us being able to fight against that is for us to be able to give a reason for the faith that we cling to, as Peter said in his letter. So this, this series that we're kind of developing as we go, we, we've taken all your questions and we've got them on a piece of paper and we're kind of... We're going down through there and trying to trying to pick the ones that we think we can that we can uh, you know get get on top of from week to week and get some good answers for you, and then the more difficult ones that are going to take a little bit more time of study and prep. We're, we're, we're pushing those back a little bit further, so we've got plenty of time to um, to prepare and to get you a, a handout and those types of things for for study. So, so tonight this one's fairly easy: spiritual disciplines. So, so what are what are spiritual disciplines? Anybody want to take a shot at it? We need a microphone if you want to talk. You can redeem yourself. All right, Ryan's going to redeem himself. You're going to walk around. Thank you. 
What are spiritual disciplines, Ryan? Training. Training. <laughs> Training, Training in God's work. All right. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Spiritual disciplines. Kind of a scary sounding word. I put, this is just a definition I put there. Those things that scripture teaches for us to do that helps believers mature in their walk with God. And probably two of the easiest things that, that you're kind of encouraged to do from the moment that you make a profession of faith is to become a what? Wherever you make a profession of faith, the church wants you to do what? Be baptized. Be baptized and to become a church member. Those are two spiritual disciplines. Being a church member is a spiritual discipline. Getting baptized, I don't know if it's a spiritual discipline or not. It probably is. I, don't, I think it's harmless to call that a spiritual discipline. You only do it one time, though. It's not like something you do over and over again. Um, and so, so these are things that you do right out of the chute that help you as a human being in a fallen world stay in this continuous realization that you are a redeemed human being by the blood of Jesus Christ in a fallen world. And how do I live my life staying connected to him in this fallen world, dealing with the issues in the fallen world, and, and mature in Jesus. And those, those are the things that I like to call spiritual disciplines. Okay, so let's talk about spiritual. Something that is spiritual, biblically speaking, I didn't look this up, this just came out of my brain, so I hope it's right. Biblically speaking, meaning our spirit, or our soul, you may, you may prefer that term, as regenerated by the Holy Spirit... How we relate to God the Father and the Son through the Holy Spirit in our spirit, existing in this world and awaiting the next. Does that make sense? Does that, does that, does that sound okay? Okay. So that's what, that's what spirituality is. It's, it's not something that, that's always real easy to put your finger on because most things that happen spirit, spiritually are, it's not like visible. It's, 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 it's an invisible world. Uh, the spiritual world is an invisible world. I mean, you can't look at me and really see my soul, can you? What do they say? The eyes are the window to the soul, right? I mean, you can't look inside my body and see it, but God can. I mean, God can look inside my eyes. I mean, God sees light. When he sees us, he sees the light. He's the children of light is what the Bible calls us. All right, then when we talk about discipline, that's everybody's favorite word, isn't it? Who here loves the word discipline? Say amen. Yeah, anybody ever been disciplined at work before? Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I got disciplined at, um, at the first job, I was a, I was a petroleum salesman for a family-owned <clears throat> Texaco distributorship out of Benoit, Mississippi, population about 60, and this one company served about a 10-county area, and my job was to go out and sell petroleum to farmers and be sure they were happy and all that kind of stuff. Well, this was back at Kim said it might be the weather. Okay, and, and th this was before I was a Christian, so I still had a real healthy 
nightlife. Y'all know what that means, right? Having a real healthy nightlife. And at the time, I was in my early 20s, and I pretty much stayed out real late at night, especially on Friday nights. And on Saturday morning, I was supposed to, get, we, I alternated with another guy, and my job was to get there at about 6.30 in the morning and open up the warehouse and then call all the gas stations that we manage the fuel inventory for and get their stick readings. You know what that means? They take a big old long pole and stick it down in the tank and bring it up and they tell you what the, what the number is and then you figure out how many gallons they can hold. And then it was my job to calculate the number of, of gallons that the truck would put on it to go to that gas station. Well, I stayed out real late the night before and uh, slept through the alarm and my phone started ringing at about 7.30, so technically I was about an hour and a half late. And he was like, uh, Bubba, what are you doing still in bed? And I said, uh, sleeping. And he said, were you supposed to be, isn't this your weekend at the warehouse? And I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, I, I suggest that, that you get there as soon as you can. I said, yes, sir. So I jumped up, went to work, sweated out the whole day, got it done. When Monday morning came around, I got to the office early that morning. He walks in, doesn't speak to me, goes to his office calls me on the conference phone, right? And guess what he says? Come to my office, please. No, I thought that was what was going to happen. He sent me home for two days without pay and, uh, and with a good lecture. Don't ever let this happen again or the next time you will be fired. So that's discipline. Do you think I was ever late to that, to that warehouse again on Saturday morning to run those stations? Yes. No, no. I was never late again. Uh, so that's what discipline is. Uh, so, so what we're talking about is spiritual, spiritual discipline. So discipline is training to obey a certain set of rules or code of behavior using what? Say it. Punishment to correct disobedience. Now, we don't like the term punishment, okay? We don't like that term. Uh, but that is basically what it is. I don't like the term either. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, why did I, why did I use that, that scripture there when we're talking about spiritual disciplines? Because that is exactly what God does to us, is it not? He gives us mandates. He gives us missions. He gives us all types of different things to do in our life. We have to make decisions based upon situations that we're in in our lives and we have we have the the choice of whether to do it the way God wants us to do it or to do it the way we think we need to do it and somewhere in there we've got to find out what God's will is and so what what should we do in those circumstances whenever we're faced with a decision to make and we want it to honor God what, what how do we figure that out we pray or we go where to the word of God we go here and the word of God helps us. So, so the process of spiritual discipline, spiritual training, because if we, if we do something that is outside the will of God, as I have multiple times, not intentionally, what normally happens when you do something outside the will of God? I mean, I mean the word of God says it very clearly. The Lord does what to us? Disciplines us, teaches us. Is that discipline, is it, is it always pleasant? 
Most of the time it is not pleasant, okay? But he does it because he loves us and because he wants us to be conformed to his will and to grow. So that's what that means, to be transformed. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't make decisions that honor the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then Titus, for an overseer, I put this scripture in there because um, me, Colton, Clayton, technically the Bible considers us what's called an overseer or a pastor, an elder, or bishop. There's a lot of different terms that are uh, interchangeable for that. It says, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. So so those that are, in in Timothy, he says those that aspire to uh, to be an elder, which means that it's not something that you should be coerced into doing. It's not something that people should pressure you into doing. If you want to be a pastor or an elder or an overseer, it should be something that you feel called or that you believe you are called by God to do and that you want to do. And now other people can encourage you. You can get affirmation from other people about maybe your ability to preach or your ability to minister or your wisdom in interpreting the scriptures and things like that. But the decision ultimately should be that you desire to do that. Now, the term discipline, I, I like to, there was one thing I left out and didn't put in here. There's, there's basically two forms, two types of discipline. One of them is formative, and one of them is corrective. So formative discipline, we, we see this done in the military all the time, right? So formative discipline, how, how, do, they, how do they instill formative discipline in soldiers? Push-ups, making them do the obstacle course, Um, making them all have the same haircut, making them all wear the same uniforms, teaching them the vernacular of the military, the acronym. That's all formative discipline. What you're talking about, Kim, is the corrective discipline. The corrective discipline comes when they have been formed and then when they're not in unity with everybody else and they fall out of that unity, that's when the corrective discipline comes to push them back into unity with the rest of the, of the regiment or the platoon or whatever. So in our lives, there's formative discipline and there's corrective discipline. Beat them down, bring them up. <laughs> Beat them down, bring them up. So, so remember, remember that as we go through this, in this spiritual, as we talk about spiritual disciplines. Okay, let's flip the page or turn it over. Name some spiritual disciplines. I just came up with these in, you know, about, about 10 minutes. I mean, the two that probably, when you hear the term spiritual disciplines that you think of just, just right off the top of your head would be prayer and Bible study, right? I mean, as soon as you become a believer, um, hopefully you were invited to a, to a uh, Sunday school class. Hopefully, you like, you like you were here tonight, you come to Wednesday night Bible study, and hopefully you, are, you, you have an active prayer life. Uh, I don't know about yours, but, but mine kind of comes and goes sometimes. Like right now, I'm in a very, um, I'm in a very active, good season of, of good prayer. Uh, when we first moved up here, that six months we were in transition up here, my prayer life was a little void for just a little while. And a lot of times, your prayer life will kind of will explode and wane when big situations are on the horizon, right? Because when you've got a big decision to make, typically, are, are you driven to pray more? 
because you want to be absolutely sure you're making the right decision, right? So prayer and Bible study, and then, then you've got private, you've got private prayer and Bible study, and then you've got corporate prayer and Bible study. So you've got Bible study that you do at your home and prayer that you do at your home, and then we come here together and we do both those things. Uh, another one, mentoring with, uh, with more mature believers. What I mean by that is, is that in the, in the Bible, it's very clear you have a Titus you have this Titus model where the older men, the older, more, spirit, more spiritually mature men are supposed to mentor or supposed to train the younger, less mature men. Now, now, age does not always correspond there. Sometimes you do have younger men that are more mature uh, spiritually than older men, but typically that's not the case. Most of the time, the older a man is and he's had a longer walk with Jesus, the more spiritually mature he is. And so, that, so that's a discipline. We see that in Paul and Timothy's life, right? All, all through the New Testament, you see Paul talking about Timothy and Titus, and uh, I think he calls uh, Timothy his child, his protege. And so Paul is pouring into his life and preparing him to be a pastor of the gospel and to go into these churches uh, and help build these churches up. So mentoring with more mature believers, I would go so far to tell you one of the great weaknesses that I have seen uh, in the American church is a lack of this right here, uh, a lack of discipleship between the older generation and the younger generation. And I believe the reason why that is is because we don't do life together. Uh, even when we come to church, all the ages scatter into their own rooms and, we, and we, don't, we don't have a transferal of the wisdom from the old generation to the new generation. We are very slowly trying to address that and move in a different direction here. Uh, with, you know, with Clayton as our family discipleship pastor, we're trying to take that holistic uh, family, multi-generational approach to ministry, but it is proving to be a lot harder uh, than we imagined. In fact, even finding a model out there that is currently functioning and functioning well has, has, proven, has proven difficult. Because most churches, I don't know if you know this or not, but most churches' education systems, while are, they are theological and based on the Bible, practically, it's basically like the public school system. It's, it's age-graded by age. You have different classrooms. The only thing we're missing down through that hallway is lockers. I mean, I mean that's, that's all we're missing. It's basically exactly the same. Uh, that's, that's not, it has been proven a thousand times over that, that age-graded teaching is not the optimal way of doing it. Children all learn in, in, different, in different ways. Uh, some learn better in groups. Some learn better in the quiet. Some learn better being stimulated by, by, by music. It, it's, it's all over the place. So, so we really need to get, to get to that one of these days, mentoring with mature believers. Um, the next one, attending worship service and small groups for accountability. We've kind of hit on that already. Uh, serving in missions and ministries. That is a, is, a, is a spiritual discipline. Would you say? How would that be a spiritual discipline? Anybody want to speak to that? All right, Brandon? I would say just in the use of your time, um, you know, making sure that you're putting effort in, um, making yourself available. I mean, that's something that we have to steward as well, uh, yeah. our time. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I can remember when I was at First Baptist Greenville and was doing youth ministry, uh, I was a single guy, and I think I was working at Uncle Ben's at the time, but, um, but the guy that was running the youth ministry was looking for uh, male counselors to go to camp. And I was interested in doing that. And so I talked to him about it. And he said, well, there's one thing about this that you need to know. It's going to be a week-long camp. So you're going to have to take a week of your vacation from your workplace to go to this camp. Are you going to be okay with that? And I was like, okay, so I get two weeks vacation in the year. In one of those weeks, I've got to go to camp with a bunch of screaming kids. 
yeah, I think I'll do that. I think I love to do that. And, and every year for three years, I took a week of my vacation from the secular world and went and went on that bus down to Gulf Shore Baptist Assembly before, uh, the, I can't remember what hurricane blew it away. I think it may have been Katrina that blew it away, but Katrina destroyed it. But, um, but, but, but we went down there. And so, so missions, missions serving and missions and ministries is definitely a spiritual discipline. And if you do that, if any of you have been a part of that, and if you're, if you're not retired and you still work full time and you're going to go on a mission trip, there's no other way to do that but to take your vacation time to go do that. And that's kind of a heart check moment. I mean, are you willing to sacrifice a week of vacation to go on a mission trip to a place where most of the time it's really not that comfortable and it's really not that easy? You go to somewhere like Honduras where flies are on you 90% of the time that you're there. I mean, you're having to, to keep them out of your mouth. There's so many flies there. So, so serving in missions and ministries. Um, personal routines. This is one of my favorite, favorite ones to talk about. Personal routines must be purposely planned out to include church and church activities. Would y'all agree with that? Primary thing, primary thing that I really beat on here is Sunday morning church attendance. If you are going to, we, what time do we start here? What time does the first people get here, Kelsey, in the morning time that, that, are, that are faithful to the band and leading worship? What time do y'all get here? 7.30. 7.30 in the morning. So, so if I am out on the lake skiing until dark 30 and don't get in until 9.30 or 10 o'clock at night and I'm in the band and scheduled for the band the next morning, what frame of mind am I going to be in the next morning? If I've been skiing out on the lake all day in the sun on Saturday, what? Your shoulders are going to be sore. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be sunburned. So, so, so am I saying not to go on the lake on Saturdays? I'm not saying that at all. Not saying that at all. What I am saying, though, is that if you're going to plan to go to church the next morning and be fresh and be committed and be a part of it, you kind of got to call it, you kind of got to call it a day, you know, somewhere around 6, 637, get home, have plenty of time to eat, take a shower, relax, unwind, and get ready for Sunday. Sunday and Wednesday should be two of the most important times in our life. And that's what I mean by the spiritual discipline of personal routines. And this is something that you hear from us as a staff all the time, okay? This church has corporate assembly how many times a week? Twice. Twice. Two times. Twice. And those two times, how long are we here? The most faithful of us, how long are we here? Tops. Tops. One hour on Wednesday, maybe two hours on Sunday. Of that time... How much of that is spent in meaningful theological mentoring and discussion? Half the time, perhaps. Wednesday night is pretty, pretty, pretty serious because we get started right at six and we go till seven. As Angie would say, y'all don't ever stop. But seven, 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 it's ten after seven. Okay, Sundays. Sundays, I don't go to our Sunday school classes, so I don't know. I don't know how rigorous the Sunday school classes are. I've been to some Sunday, and I'm not, and I'm not, don't hear me condemn anything. I'm just giving facts, okay? I've been to Sunday school classes, not here, but throughout my life, that 
that talked about sports and politics and weather and hunting and fishing for 30 minutes and then barely got into the Bible for 15 or 20 minutes right near the end of of the Sunday school lesson. (laughs) I hadn't been to the Young at Heart class. Now, Now, let me say this. If there's somebody that's having a crisis in that classroom and that whole time period needs to be spent ministering to that person who is in a crisis, hallelujah, so be it. But the purpose of a Sunday school class on Sunday morning is not social hour. That's, that's not the purpose. The purpose of what we do here is the gospel. And if all we do is social hour, you're going to turn this place into what theologians have warned us about for 200 years. It's not going to be a church. It's going to be a social club is what it's going to be. And then when, when something happens here, divisive, bad, that requires you to think scripturally and to think biblically, what's going to happen is, is that your relationship and your friendship and your social connections are going to be more important to you than the truth of the situation. I have seen that happen time and time and time again. And I get it. Sometimes some of the most horrible things you have to deal with happen to people that you love and that are friends of yours. doesn't take away from the fact that you are called as a Christian first and foremost to stand for truth in a crooked and wicked generation. That's why this has to be about theology and about truth. And part of that is, is to have personal routines that are conducive to spiritual things. And I'm going to tell you, it creeps up on you. Yes, Juanes? What is your question? Yes. One of the highlights in my life of growing up was Sunday night when mm-hmm. we had church training. It yes. uh, drew me closer to the Bible. I learned how to give parts. I learned how to participate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would go skiing in the afternoon, but I would be home by 6 o'clock so I could go to church training. Yeah. But so, I'm sure that had a lot to do with my parents also, but... I wouldn't take anything for that experience. Yeah. So are you, are you asking what happened to Sunday night worship? Is that what you're asking? Well, I already know what happened. <laughs> Just like <laughs> everything else. Yeah. The, if, if I had, if, I think where we will probably end up going on Sunday night here is we will probably, Sunday night will probably become more of a, of a discipleship group type of time where we have kind of informal but, but theologically directed uh, 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 study groups is what will probably happen here, but we, ju- we just haven't gotten there yet. We're, we're, try- we're trying to get the main things kind of firmed up and staffed well and with volunteers and things of that nature, and once, once, the, once your Sunday morning is solid as a rock and once Wednesday night is solid as a rock, then, then, we'll, then we'll begin to expand into, into, into other things. So we're just not there yet. Plus, who takes a nap on Sunday afternoon? I'm just curious. Most everybody. Okay, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna cut into that nap time and we're going to start having three o'clock. I'm, we're going to start having preaching here at three o'clock in the afternoon I'm, and I'm going to be preaching to empty chairs, aren't I? Okay, let, let, let's move on here. Um, what time is it, anybody? 6.30. 6.30, okay. Yes. You sure can, yes. I just want to echo on her comment. Uh, I've been Baptist my whole entire life and uh, it was training union when I went. Yep. And then it became church training, and then it was discipleship training. Baptists have been really good at getting people in the door and introducing them to Jesus, but discipleship training teaches them what being a church member is and how to live that out. 
And that's what's sorely, it, it's sorely lacking. It Everywhere. is. Everywhere, yes. Because uh, people, they just, they don't know. They don't know what's expected. Yeah. Being a member, church member. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, I, when uh, uh, Walter's got his hand up, when, when Transformational Church back 2000 and, oh, I don't remember. It, it was, it was, it, it was, early, it was before, it was like the, in the 2000 teens, Ed Stetzer and these three guys at Lifeway did a huge study called Transformational Church. And they, they interviewed, I think, I want to say it was like 14,000 churches in North America that were considered evangelical, which meant they believed the Word of God was completely true. They believed the Scripture was sufficient. They believed in the Trinity, the, the, the basics of evangelicalism. But the reason why they chose those 14,000 churches was because they had had between 4 to 7% growth for five years in a row. So they, they chose them that way because something they were doing was working and reaching people. So they chose the 14,000, they, they did phone interviews, and then I think they chose 500 to go deeper and like, like pay personal visits to those churches and actually have one-on-one conversations with staff members. And what they found was one primary thing was what you just said, that those churches were doing one thing consistently. They were, they were doing one-on-one discipleship with the people that had, jo- that, that had joined those churches. So, go ahead, Walter. Move your hand up a little bit, bud. There you go. It's still not on. Is it dead? Is it muted, maybe? Things that bothers me is when a young teenager comes and joins the church and he's not from a Christian family. Yeah. I always wonder what happens to that kid when he goes home. He has no help whatsoever in right. trying to live a Christian life, doesn't know how to live a Christian life, right. and he has nobody to help him try to learn. Right. And we have one right here at church that I worry about. Yeah. Um, because it, from what we've heard, he doesn't have the greatest situation at home, and mm-hmm. you, just, you just know that he's not, getting his, he's not getting his milk so that he gets ready to get to the meat of the, right. of the, of the church. Yeah, and, and honestly, that, that's been a, Walter, that has been a struggle for as long as I have been in ministry. Uh, that's, that's been a struggle, um, especially when bus ministry was alive and well back 25, 30 years ago. Uh, they would, they would bus, bus kids in by the hundreds to churches. Uh, they would make professions of faith, and then their parents would never get involved in church. And so they went right back out. Uh, to those, and I, I don't, I mean, I don't know that all of them were godless homes, but, but many of them were godless homes, and then you, you just lose track of them, and you don't ever know what happens to them, and I've never, I, I've never known any group that has been able to fix that paradigm. Um, Woodland had a, had a bus ministry, and when I first came there, when I first went there many, many years ago, uh, there was a, a group of about 10 people that wanted to get that started back up. They wanted to get the buses going again, and so we met, we talked, and, and, and we did an appeal for, for people to get involved that were willing to drive the bus, that were willing to do the ministry, and we just could not get the people to come forward to do it. And the last thing that you want to do, the last thing you want to do is you don't want to put something like that on a very small number of people. 
because then you don't have enough people to watch what goes on with all those children when they come here, and then you wind up with kids sneaking off into rooms and doing things they're not supposed to do, and then before you know it, you've created a godless environment here at the church that you can't manage. So it, it's, it's, there's so many different, that, that whole discussion, you have to have enough people that are willing to serve and be a part of that if it's going to be done right. I mean, you really do. I mean, I, that's, just, that, that's just the reality of it. The worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do is, is open this building up and have a whole bunch of lost people come to it with, without enough people here to supervise what goes on. I mean, that, that can be disastrous. So, any other questions? Okay. Um, let's move on here. All right, prayer. We talked, about, um, we talked about quality and quantity a good bit either last week or the week before last. Week before last. I mean, and that's pretty self-explanatory. Do, do we want to have a quality prayer or do we want to have a lot of prayers? And I think the answer to that question is, is that we want to have quality in our quantity. And, and, and what I would say to you is two, two things, just, just to sum the prayer issue up. No, number one, don't, don't like have this idea, this guilt-ridden complex that, oh, I forgot to pray today, so God is mad at me. Okay, you're going to be okay if you forget to pray. Can you amen that? Yeah. Okay, I, I mean, God is still God. You are still saved. He, he still has a wonderful plan for your life. If you forget to pray over a meal or you forget at nighttime before you go to bed, a lightning bolt's not going to come down and get you, okay? But if you go for days and days and days or weeks without praying, th- th- that's a problem. You need to probably feel some conviction over that, and you need to get back on your knees and, and begin to pray. And all I would say to that is, is that like, like I do, since I've been talking a whole lot, the Lord's convicted me, I, I have been getting on my knees uh, the past few days, right out of bed in the morning time, I hit my knees and I spend about 10 minutes in prayer to God, and then I pray up here, it's, I come in the sanctuary and I pray 10 or 15 minutes, and then, I, then tonight before I go to bed, I'll, I'll hit my knees and I pray. And if Angie's... Uh, still awake. I'll, I'll pray with her most times. She's long gone by the time I get in there. But um, so, so don't, don't, don't beat yourself up if, if you forget to pray. I, 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 get, I really worry sometimes about, about professing Christians that, that get that way. It's, it's like, um, well, I haven't confessed my sins, so am I going to die and go to hell because I hadn't confessed my sins? What's the answer to that question? No. I mean... Of course not. I mean, I mean, and, and this is where people are scared. Some, some, some people are scared to death of the theology of predestination and election. And, and, I, and I, hope, I hope you have heard a very balanced theology come out of me since I've been here. But that teaching alone, alone, should bear you comfort to know that it don't depend on your actions. It depends on what you believe. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have come to repentance and faith in Him, I mean, you don't ever have to pray another day in your life and you're still saved. You understand what I'm saying? Now, now you will be out of fellowship with Him and there may be trials and tribulations that come upon you where God is trying to to put discipline in your life, to force you back on your knees, to pray to him, to come back in line with his will and blessing. But you're, 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 when, you, when you become a Christian, you're a Christian forever. You are, you are secured for all eternity. And that's one of the reasons why I'm Baptist. Because we believe in what? Eternal security of the believer. Well, that is wrapped up in election and predestination. 
So don't, don't fear those doctrines at all. Those doctrines need to be clung to and loved and realized. Yes? Well, if there was anything about our faith that was dependent on us, more than likely there would be even fewer in heaven. Hmm. Good word. All right, uh, let's keep going here. Um, the other thing we talked about, what time is it? 6.40? Oh, good grief, we've got to go fast. Um, uh, where, where, as a new Christian, where do I start reading my Bible? Um, I, I, put, uh, I started in Matthew. That was the gospel that I cut my teeth on, was the gospel of Matthew. And I liked it, and I still remember reading it to this day that first time, because it, it's, it's the gospel that has the, the, the deepest and plainest connection of the Old Testament scriptures being fulfilled in the New. As you read Matthew, you'll see like the virgin birth and, and the, uh, the, the, when Herod kills the children, it connects it back to the prophecy. All, all those prophecies are shown in there. So, so Matthew's a good one. The Gospel of John is probably the most widely um, suggested as the best place for a new believer uh, to start reading. I put a little information here. John is structured around seven miracles of Christ. That makes it really a really easy book to follow and, and stay centralized on Christ's divinity. Uh, Proverbs. Proverbs, anybody can read Proverbs and get wisdom out of Proverbs. I mean, a lost person can read Proverbs and get wisdom out of it. Uh, so Proverbs is a great place to go. Romans, is, I put this in here, is one of the most complete systematic expressions of the gospel in the Bible. But as we talked about, it also has some of, some of the most complex matters in certain chapters involving the Old Testament and the Jews that, that can really, like, make you go, what? You know, when you read it. Uh, so I always suggest, always suggest, that if you read Paul you really need to have a commentary with you, a good evangelical conservative commentary, so that when you hit things that you don't understand, you, you can kind of get the historical trajectory of what the interpretation of that passage has been. And if, and if it's a good commentary, it will give you every nuance of every interpretation that has been out there. And most of the time, there's at most, there's three uh, interpretations of, uh, of each passage. There's a, there's a conservative, then there's a liberal, and there's a moderate. No, normally that's how that works, okay? Um, keep on going down. So why won't people, this is a question, why won't people um, put their spiritual gifts from God to use? Anybody got an idea on that? I put a whole bunch of ideas in there. I want to hear what you got to say. Laziness. Rebellion. Rebellion. I didn't put that in there. I'm going to write that in there. That's a good one. Rebellion. Feeling like they're not qualified? I can see that. What'd you say? Same thing. Yeah. Fear of failure. Yes, I, I agree with that. Um, your 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 two passages, your two primary passages. I've got them in there. First Corinthians twelve one through eleven, and Romans twelve three through eight. And the Romans passage is actually the continuation of the first passage I put on page one. Romans twelve one and two. So it's just a continuation of that passage. That would be interesting to you that the that the gifts are are right after that the living sacrifice passage. But I'll just read these off. Perhaps they don't know what their spiritual gift is or what they are. Uh, I'll tell you, one of the best attended Bible studies that I've ever had the privilege to lead in my life was when we did uh, spiritual gifts here at Parkway back three years ago. I mean, this place, we had three times the number of people in here for that whole, for that whole time that we did spiritual gifts. We did the inventory and all that, if you remember that. Uh, number two, physically unable uh, to do that. And, and, and as congregations age, that happens. I mean, I mean, our bodies get old. I mean, I'm beginning to feel it right now at 53. I mean, I have got a pain in my knee 
that every now and then just feels like somebody's jabbing a, 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 a spike in the base of my neck. I've never had that pain before. It just started happening the other day. And I, every now and then I try to find it, you know. I try to find it. So some people are, they become physically unable to do them, physically unable to serve. And in those cases, you know, it's like I tell people that, that are sometimes that are bed bound that at one time were, you know, big servants in the church. I'm like, look, as long as you're breathing, it doesn't matter. God still loves you. There's still purpose for your life for him. And you're laid up in this bed, minister to the, to the, to the clinicians and the doctors that come to your bedside. You can sit here and pray all day long to the Lord. You can read scripture. There's all kind of stuff that you can do when you're in that state. Uh, the third one, laziness and our apathy. I personally believe that that's the biggest one. I, 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 th- I think that, that, that most professing Christians, because we live in a very prosperous uh, orderly nation th- that there's so many other things to do uh, that that you just you don't want to get roped in to having to use your spiritual gifts to serve 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 because what if I want to go what if I want to go do this if I want to go do that then I'm already I'm roped in and I'm having to serve and we are we are just so you know we are trying here at this church to to have kind of a very good depth chart. Of, um, of positions of service here so that nobody feels like they're trapped in a position here. I mean, that defeats the whole purpose. I mean, the whole purpose of the church is to have kind of like a depth chart, like a football team, where you've got the one person that's leading, they serve for a while, they train the one that's behind him, behind him or her, then this person moves on to do something else or takes a respite for a year, then this person steps up and there's somebody behind them that's trained. And so it's always a never-ending a never ending training and, and endless uh, supply of people that serve. David, it could be David said, is it because we don't require people to do anything? It, 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 it possibly could be. I, I, and I, I don't know, I don't know how far you go with that. We don't expect them to. Two, two things, I, I, I have had those thoughts given to me for years as, as a pastor. I, one guy was about giving. He said, preacher, I'm going to tell you what we need to do. We're going to fix this giving problem when people join the church, well, they need to be made to give us their W-2 so we know what they should be tithing 10%. And I said, so let me get this straight. You want me to go before the church and tell everybody they've got to turn in w two so we know what our 10% tithe is going to be in the church? You realize I ain't going to be pastor along with this church, right, if I do that. Why don't you go before the church and do that? Let them hate you instead of hate me. But of course, you know what will happen then. They'll think that I put them up to it. You know, so there, there's no escape there. And then the other one is, is to, you know, tell people when they join, you have to serve. You know, you're expected to serve. Um, that one's a little bit less intrusive than, than, you know, getting somebody's W-2. But, I mean, it's kind of the same principle. I mean, it, I mean, you are, as a Christian, you are supposed to sacrificially give to the church. As a Christian, you are supposed to be that living sacrifice and serve the church. You can't hardly get them to go to church, come to church on Sunday morning. Right. Right. That's right. Disposition to serve others as as Christ. Right. 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 (laughs) uh, Walter's got his hand up, and then I think Jim had his hand up. But also, you get into the situation where twenty percent of the people are doing eighty percent of the work, and they get burnt out. Yep. And then they start backing up. Right. I mean, that happens. 
Yeah, you, you figure out how to fix that, let me know. All right, Jim Winchester, this is going to be good. Come on now. I was just going to say, we give a towel. Every time somebody joins, they get a towel as an example that they are, you know, supposed what to Jesus did and they're supposed yeah. to serve. And I'm sure those towels are hung up in a very important place in the house. <laughs> no, they're wadded up on the bottom of the shower. I can tell you where mine is. No, mine's not in the shower. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not in the bottom of the shower. All right, let's continue on so we can get through here. Um, here's, here's the question. What time is it? Six who? 647, okay. Um, here's the question <clears throat> that we haven't gotten to yet tonight. And this is, this is probably the more, uh, the, the deeper question, but it's got, it's, got a, it's got a simple answer to it. I mean, when somebody asks me this question, I've got a knee-jerk response question that pretty much shuts it all down because you really can't argue with it. But if God is sovereign, this is a good question. If God is sovereign, if God knows everything that's going to happen from the moment he breathed the world into existence until the world, till the time he comes back and, and ends it all, if he knows everything that's going to happen, every wind, every leaf, every sparrow that falls, every hair on our head, why do we have to pray about anything, right? That's a fair question. All right, well, here's, here's your answer. Number one, I... I'll give you a question. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? And that's, that's prob- you probably know the answer to that. Is it means he has supreme power or authority. So if he's supremely powerful, why do we have to pray? Well, number one, prayer has been modeled for us throughout the Bible by the Old Testament and New Testament saints. Number two, Jesus prayed regularly. And who was Jesus? God. God. So if it's good enough for Jesus, if Jesus needed to pray, was led to pray to his father, how much more should we pray? So that should end the argument right there, but we'll, we'll go further. We pray to begin and maintain our relationship with God. Now notice I didn't say salvation, okay? Because prayer doesn't maintain salvation, but prayer does maintain your relationship with God, meaning uh, as John, all through John's letters, the the kind of the, the, the theme, he, he, walking in light, fellowship with God. I mean, you can be saved and be enslaved in carnality and be out of fellowship with God where he is sending discipline upon you to realign you with God's will. How many of y'all have known a Christian that is backslidden for, for weeks, months? Okay, but that, that's what I'm talking about. So prayer is one of those things. I mean, obviously, when we come to Christ, we cry out to him in, in, uh, in, in, in humility, in desperation uh, for salvation. And so, so that's where it initiates. And then prayer is what helps us maintain the relationship and the fruitfulness you know, of that relationship, just as we have with our, with our human relationships. I mean, if you're, if you're married, I mean, try, try to coexist with your wife without talking for a couple months and see how it goes. And some of y'all go, it'd be great, right? No. Don't, don't say that, because I know that's not true. But, but, I mean, you can't do that. I mean, I could not imagine my life with Angie right now without communicating with her on a regular basis. We, Angie and I talk probably 10 times a day. I mean, at least 10 times a day. We talk, we, have, we wake up in the morning time, and we have coffee together. 
And then I leave and I get to the office and then she probably texts me a few things that morning about what's going on. Then she texts me and asks me if I'm coming home for lunch. Sometimes I stay here, sometimes I go home. Then sometimes in the afternoon I have to run kids, sometimes I don't. Sometimes she has a, some type of insight to something or, 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 you know, or maybe there's a you know, person that we're trying to help in ministry and she'll call me and we'll talk about that. There's just, there's just nonstop communication there about all kinds of different things. And, and so I, I could not imagine uh, having a, a good relationship with somebody and not having that communication with them. And that's what prayer is for us as believers with God. And so, so if you don't have a good, active, healthy prayer life, your relationship with God is, is not as full and as healthy as it could be. Y'all follow what I'm saying? I mean, you're saved, you're going to heaven. It's kind of like Spurgeon said, uh, he said, uh, little faith, I love this. I had it on my resume for a while. Little faith, I don't have a resume out, by the way. There's no resumes right now, Dave, so don't worry about that. Little faith will get your soul to heaven, but great faith will get heaven to your soul. Mm. I, lo- I love that. So that's kind, of, that's kind of what I'm getting at. All right, let's, let's continue here. Yes. Yes, to align our will to God's. That's right. That's right. That's right. So we pray because God has commanded us to pray. We pray not to manipulate God. This is, uh, Rena, uh, Rena talked about this last time we were together, I think. We pray not to, maybe not in these words, but, but similar. We pray not to manipulate God to do what we want him to do. We pray to align our will with God's will. That, that, that's, that's the purpose of prayer, is that, all right? Then I've got a, few, a bunch, whole bunch of scriptures here. We'll just read through these right quick. What time is it? 6.52, okay, we're, we're going we're to be through. Um, all, of the, all of these scriptures have something to do with, with, with prayer that kind of help us see that, that even though God is sovereign and he knows everything and is in control of everything, he still commands us to pray and not only commands us to pray, but, but commands us to pray in certain ways uh, so that we can be in alignment with his will. So 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his what? Will, he hears us. So if we pray and we want those prayers to be answered, they need to be in conformity to his will. James 4, 1 through 3, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, I'd been praying for a, did I tell you, I think I told you, I've been praying for a Humvee for a long time and I never got it. And, and then I found this scripture and I realized why I never got it because it's not God's will for me to have a Humvee. <laughs> yes, he answered it. No, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Gave me a, a station wagon, the 93 Roadmaster station wagon instead. <laughs> Y'all have seen that, right? Okay. It's great if you hadn't seen it. Logan wrecked it, so we don't have it anymore. But anyway, uh, Matthew 6, and this is the Lord's Prayer, and we talked about this already. Um, I put this in here for verse 8. Do not be like them, like the pagans or Gentiles, for your Father knows what? What you need. knows what you need before you ask him. So again, that kind of provokes that question. If he knows what I need before I ask him, why does he command me to ask him? Because what are you to him? Son. 
child. And what do children do to their parents? They ask for things. That, that's, I mean, I mean, Jesus said, you must come to me as a little child. The kingdom of heaven is, is for, 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 you must have the heart of a child. What does that mean? It must be dependent upon your father. You must be dependent upon him. You must look to him as a, as a giving, loving, loving father. Okay? Of course. Of course. All right, flip the page. <clears throat> uh, this is the, uh, the prayer from Gethsemane, uh, Matthew twenty six thirty nine. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What was he asked? What was the cup? God's wrath. The crucifixion. Y'all, y'all get that, right? The Lord Jesus Christ... The night he was in the garden, the night he would be betrayed, the same night that Judas went out and brought the temple guards to come arrest him, he, go, he goes to, to the garden with the disciples. They fall asleep on him. He gets angry about that. But he prays three times, three times to God that if there's any other way, Father, any other way, let this cup pass, yet what? Your will be done. And do you think maybe the reason he prayed that so much wasn't because of the nails going through him, but because of the separation he was going to feel from the Father? Probably. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah, probably so. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, that's the, I mean, there was nothing enjoyable about Calvary's, Calvary's cross. I mean, I, can, I don't remember where this was said, but, but I can remember uh, somebody was talking about how it would be unthinkable for other countries to actually wear a cross around their neck because a cross was a symbol of punishment and shame, not of salvation. And so it's like, it would be like wearing a guillotine around your neck, you know, or, or, or a noose or something like that. But God took that, took that symbol of punishment and pain. And this is how powerful and how sovereign God is. He took that and made that a universal symbol for salvation. That's how powerful God is. Try, try doing that sometime to see what happens. Okay, um, all right, let's keep going. Now, John 17 is the high priestly prayer. We won't, we won't read through that whole prayer, but it's incredible. Uh, Romans 8, 26 and 27, we talked about that last week. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, because it tells us in our flesh and in our weakness as humans that we never really utter a prayer to God that is like perfectly in his will. And so the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and perfects our prayers before God. So that should be very comforting for you to know that, that when you pray, even if your prayer is wrong, that God perfects it before the throne, which is why sometimes he says no, like you just said. So, all right, then James chapter five, the prayer of faith, you've all heard that. I put 1 Peter 3, 7 in here just for you ladies, okay? First um, Peter 3, 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Get this now. So that your what? Prayers may not be hindered. And don't, don't miss that. So what Peter is saying is that if we as men do not treat our wives with love and respect and honor, that our prayers to God will be hindered. <laughs> Does that change your perspective, guys? <laughs> so if your prayers aren't getting answered, you know, take out the garbage a little bit more or do the dishes a little bit more and ask her what she, what she wants in breakfast, that, you know, in bed this Saturday. 
and just watch the floodgates of God's grace just shower you, you know? So, ladies, just trying to help you out. All right, so that's pretty much it. It's time to quit. So let me get the, um, okay, all right, go ahead. This isn't a question, but there, uh, I, I, I see that as a condition of the heart. Uh-huh. He's, he's asking for men and, and people to have grace towards each other, and that's where you first start showing it is at home. If you would have somebody in your own church and you wouldn't have any grace for something they did or didn't do correctly, you know, um, I think God would hinder your prayers there too. It, it, it's the condition of the heart he's talking sure. about there. Actions were, are great, but the condition of the heart is where it has to stop, start or the actions yeah. won't happen. Yeah. Yeah, one of the first things, whenever, um, and this and this is straight out of the scripture, uh, Jesus, I think in Matthew nineteen, he was talking about giving certificates of divorce, and he said Moses wrote those because your hearts were hard, and and I just remember through the years as I as I've counseled uh, couples that were having difficulty, the first thing I'll tell them the first time I sit down with them the first meeting, I'm like the first thing you've got to do is you, you've got to make a commitment to one another and to God that you're not going to let your heart be hardened toward the other. Because that's what Satan wants. Satan wants a breach in communication. He wants a breach in intimacy. He wants a breach in your fellowship as husband and wife so he can get in there and harden your hearts against each other. And if he can do that, he can destroy the marriage. And, uh, and, and, I, and with one couple, it worked. Because the husband would call me multiple times during the week. He said, man, the enemy's trying to harden my heart. I'm not letting him. I'm not letting me do it. And I'll be good, good, good. But yes, I agree with you, Rena. That's a good word. Okay, prayer request. Then we got to close this out tonight. Um, let's see. Uh, Sid Sammons had some surgery on his eye that did not go well. So we need to uh, remember him. I think they're going to have to go in and redo the surgery. So remember him. And let's see. I just got that word this afternoon. Um, we have an anniversary tonight of Bruce Wayne's, if y'all don't, y'all who knows who Bruce Wayne is? Anybody know who Bruce Wayne is? Batman, Batman he's right there behind you. Uh, he, he, this is the anniversary of his return from Operation Desert Storm. So let's welcome Bruce back. Ten, how many years ago? How many years ago was that? How many? 31. 31. Wow. I keep forgetting I'm 53 because I was in high school when, when, that, when that happened. Okay. Wow. Well, hey, man, we love you and glad you're here. Definitely. So remember them in that, and uh, let's see. There was another one I thought I was texted earlier today. Any, uh, let, me, let me just read these. Okay, we got um, Jesse Neal. Um, okay. Okay. Ukraine, Eliana Thomas, yes, yeah. Eliana Thomas, an infection in the digestive tract, so we're praying for no fever and for this infection. Okay. She's undergoing chemo. She's down syndrome. 
Wow. Gotcha. Um, who now? Lindy Smithson? Okay. Dodie had sent an update on Rick, I think. Hang on just a second. Yeah, Rick, uh, y'all have met Rick. Rick's been here several Sundays. Uh, Rick's shoulder surgery has been rescheduled again. It's now Wednesday, April the 6th. So remember to pray for him. Can y'all think of any? I feels like I, it feels like I'm, I'm forgetting one that I was sent today, and I. On the live stream. Oh, I didn't. Who was that? Chuck Draper. Oh, that's my that's my cousin from Arkansas. Please say prayers for Peggy Schamberg. That's my about my grandmother's sister Her or husband, cousin. Her husband Tim Philman has passed away from cancer. Wow, Tim died. I had no idea. I'll have to call Chuck tomorrow. I did not know Tim died. Tim coached, was a, was a football coach for years. I have not seen him since I was probably 22. It's been a long time. They all live in different states. Robner grand granddaughter is going to Nigeria as a nurse missionary. Emily? Emily, okay. Okay. Let's see, we've got uh, John Denton, my cousin Anna Tidmore had a quadruple bypass. My goodness, so she's doing okay? Okay, fantastic. Uh, Linda's sister Diane is having uh, multiple he terrible health issues. So we'll remember her. Is she here? Where's she? Okay. Oh, gosh. Okay. Gotcha. All right. Now, I can't tell if, if there's do not email out beside that. Does that mean it's private? Who did put these out here? If, it, if you wrote do not email out here, does that mean it's private? Okay. I, I'm not going to mention these because I don't know if they're private or not. Okay, and then Ukraine. We're praying for Ukraine, and then uh, Jesse Neal uh, has cancer, and Larry Larry put that there. Okay, any other ones that y'all can that y'all can remember that I have maybe forgotten? Carol Perry. Carol Perry. Yes, thank you, sir. Oh, yes. Say it again. The Earl Rich. Earl Rich. Merle's brother passed. Earl. Earl. So Earl Rich passed or Earl Rich's brother passed? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's a load. I won't mention these by name. You've heard the names. I'll just do a... Yes. Yes, Lori. Okay. Oh, Wow.
Larry Parsley, mother fell and broke her hip. Okay. All right. Anything else? Okay. Let's pray and ask the Lord to enter into all of these uh, requests for us. And of course, he already knows, right? He knew before we asked him. And why is that? Because he's a sovereign God and he knows everything even before we ask. But we do it because God commands us to and because we're being obedient and we're being submissive to our God. So, Father, you have heard the names that have been mentioned tonight. And Lord, there's probably hundreds of others that have not been mentioned for whatever reason. Um, And Father, we pray for each and every one of them for these health struggles, for the people of Ukraine, for tax season with people having financial difficulties. I know that's out there. Lord, for relational difficulties, for marriages that are struggling, I know that's out there all the time. Those of us as parents that are right in the middle of child-rearing years that are, that are just fighting to try to raise godly children that, that love you and that, and that stay in church and that, that want to go on mission for you. Father, for our nation, that we just, it just seems to slip away just a little bit more every year, and it just seems to not be any way to stop it. But we, we know that we are safe and secure in you, and that one day you shall return, and that all the nations will see you and grieve, and that you will establish your throne of judgment, and that they will know that you are God. So help us to remember that in the midst of all of the trials and tribulations, in the midst of all of the despair that we go through from time to time when we turn the TV on or when we see a friend that's struggling in a situation that we are powerless to help. Help us to remember that you are God and that you are on the throne and that you are sovereign, even though sometimes it may not seem like it to us as human beings, but that you are You are in complete control of this reality and the cosmos and all the universe. So Father, again, we pray for all these on this list tonight that we have mentioned by name, surgeries that have not gone well, upcoming surgeries, healing from cancer, inflicted by cancer, young children that are trying to recover from from illness, all types of things, God, that, that just keep us concerned and that occupy our hearts and minds, Lord. Tonight, for this very moment, we entrust it to you. And we know that you will fill these needs according to your will, Father, in ways that we would probably never understand or see. And we can take peace in that tonight. Father, be with us for the rest of the week. Bring us back on Sunday. And I pray that you would protect us from the storms tonight as they come into our area and be with those that it's affected earlier this evening. We love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your majesty. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. All right, well, good night, everybody. Good night, live feed, wave at the live feed. Good night, everybody. See you Sunday, Lord willing.